everybody. Welcome back to the Hamilcast. It is me, Jillian. This is Lintoberfest Part 3. And Mike. And Mike. And Mike. <laughs> you know Mike. <laughs> I'm it's so hard. Peggy. I'm, I'm happy to be your Peggy anytime. Oh, I love Peggy. It's just hard you because you, you have your name is one syllable. So mm-hmm. the and Peggy. Yeah, but I mean you the, could go Michael, I guess. The spirit of N Peggy in 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 the world of the Hamilcast, I'm happy to be Peggy. Well, I'm happy to have you. I also relate to her <laughs> cautiousness. She's the one that's like, oh, we, you know, at the sundown, we we shouldn't be out here. Yeah, I'm not a risk taker. Not re- well. I don't know about that. I, I wasn't think... when I was a kid. I wasn't the one like trying to do tricks on my bicycle. I was. I had both hands on the handlebars. Did you ever take the hands off the handlebars? Never. Never. Ever. Ever. So when I, the few times that I did fall off, it was really like the universe conspired against me because (laughs) not a risk taker. What a sad thing to think about, little you falling off a bike. That's horrible. It happened a few times. Yeah. That's horrible. Um, But what's not horrible is Lintoberfest part three. See how I- (laughs) Great segue. Segwayed into that. Uh, Yeah, but this is actually the most emotional episode of the Hangout with Lynn for sure. I have a question about that. What? Actually, did you- edit it so that the emotional stuff would be in the third part or did it just work out that way because having sat here with you uh-huh. i i know that it's it was a very fluid four-hour conversation and we just were not afraid to go to any place so how did it work out where episode three was the one where it worked out this emotional. is a little this is a little b-side territory Mm-hmm. for next week but it really just worked out like that i didn't rearrange the conversation what you guys hear in these episodes is totally chronological it just happened that way that's it was, what i figured yeah it's it was um because these are all patreon peep questions mm-hmm. so it was a, a certain question that sparked some emotional conversations and that's all i'm gonna say you guys can listen to it right now uh but first if you haven't already please go to hispanic federation.org slash donate so much help is being done in puerto rico but so much more needs to be happening and, and pick up almost like praying and yes. follow their playlist follow the spotify. spotify playlist there's so much you can do and it's so easy and it's doing we're all doing our part to help out and it's it's showing it's helping lynn has been updating us on twitter about what's going on us meaning everyone and in his timeline and all these awesome threads so it's really really great to hear where where the money is going but we just got to keep doing it. We have to help out Puerto Rico. All right. So we just dive in this, uh, the way it was edited. It's just like, I think it just, it's like, st- it just starts with a question. So enjoy you guys. Lintoberfest part three. Mark! Look around, look around at how lucky we are to be alive right now. Look around, look around at how lucky we are to be alive right now. History is happening in Manhattan and we just happen to be in the Sorry if my eating popcorn is sounding terrible. Please. You sound great. Okay. Natalie says, you've created one amazing version of Hamilton's story, knowing that this is the first, if not only, exposure many have to this part of our nation's history. What would you say to those who may feel like this is the full history? If you think I can get the full history in two hours and 45 minutes, like, God bless you. Yeah. Like... 
this is not even a drop in the bucket. And I, I mean, I, I think that's honestly what was so intimidating about it was um, you read a different Hamilton biography, you get a different Hamilton. Mm-hmm. You read a different Washington biography, you get a different Washington. I fell in love with Chernow's Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And then I supplemented that with reading and research sort of in every other sphere I could find mm-hmm. uh, from his writings to to whatever. But it doesn't even scratch the surface. I mean, um, you could do a musical about Hamilton establishing the Coast Guard. You could do a musical about like Burr establishing a water company that he established as a bank. Like there's so yeah. many stories we don't even touch on. James Monroe. That's a musical. Like James Monroe's interaction with Hamilton because he was actually one it, of the... You told you were super drunk and you told that whole story. Yeah, and he was one of the people in the room that Hamilton confessed to the Reynolds affair to Ba-na-na-na-na. before, you know, I changed it to uh, yeah. Mullig- uh, Madison, Jefferson, and Burr. But it was yeah. originally uh, three different people, one of whom was James Monroe. And when so- I've talked about it on the show, I'm like, it's we know, but with three different dudes. Exactly. And so, you know, it's... What I what I hope it does, and that's also you know when we do the Edgeham thing, we take pains to say this is not the history. This is just a glimpse of what you haven't learned, and they're right. people, and they're flawed, and like what other stories haven't you been told? My favorite quote is that uh, is David in the PBS special saying like he was a great like Jefferson was a great dude, and, and he, he sucked. <laughs> like yeah. he sucks, and you can say that about all He's these the guys. Wor- yeah, and you can say that about any of and us. I fell in love with David McCullough slash Paul Giamatti's John Adams, so I am largely a John Adams apologist because of that portrayal of him. Yeah, and I treated the way I treated John Adams in the show was I'm assuming you've seen that miniseries. <laughs> Works for me. You know, yeah. like yeah, but but seriously, like when King George says, "I met that guy in 1785." That little guy. I'm assuming you've seen the scene between Paul Giamatti and King George where King George is basically like, "Good luck, John Adams." Yep. <laughs> there is an opinion among some people, Mr. Adams, that you are not the most attached of all your countrymen to the manners of France. <laughs> Uh, yes, well, I avow to your majesty uh, that I have no attachment uh, to any country but my own. An honest man will never have any other. I pray, Mr. Adams, that the United States does not suffer unduly from its want of a monarchy. Yes, we will, we will strive to answer those prayers, your majesty. Yep, and I love how I love how Paul Giamatti plays it, where he's looking at everybody, and he's like, "So I step, I step down." Yeah, I, I, I treat that as canon, <laughs> like that's within the Hamilton canon. Yeah, because I'm not going to improve on that, and uh, and I also that was also central because Adams is a big character in this world in the founding era, right. but. The fact that he had a six-hour miniseries mean like, all right, I don't need to tackle him. Mm-hmm. It's He's got a miniseries. That, like, you chose like to have Adams as just someone that we sit down, John, you fat motherfucker. He's, but we, he's Vera in Cheers. He's just yes, he's Norm's yeah, yeah. wife. But, but we like, never a, meet him. But like Vera Hamilton never Cheers. meets KG three. But KG three is like a very like chapter markings in this. Yeah. So I just I just love that. Yeah, and one of the unanticipated joys of KG three is that he. Um, becomes an audience surrogate. Because if you rob the revolution of its inevitability and you rob the story of its inevitability of like, oh, well, what if they lose? Or, right. whoa, what if they yeah, every have story a king needs a, instead of a president? Every story needs a villain. So, but it's, it, he's, well, I thought he'd be a villain, but then he also turned out to be like, so what's 
the plan here. He is the outsider to the unfolding of the founding of our country. And, and so I'm delighted he showed up. And then I'm also delighted he proved as useful as he does throughout the show. Right. Because every time we need him, he's sort of always on time. <laughs> John Adams? I know him. That can't be. That's that little guy who spoke to me all those years ago. What was it? 85. That poor man, they're going to eat him alive. Oceans rise, empires fall. Next to Washington, they all look small. All alone, watch them run. They will tear each other into pieces. Jesus Christ, this will be fun. Da 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 da. President John Adams. Good luck. Oh, okay. So here's a me question. Okay. And I think this is, I'm kind of putting you on the spot a little bit here, Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Mike. Oh, boy. What happened? Mike. How'd you get here? It's my moment. Skitch, how do we get here? How the hell? Christmas. So here's the thing. Mike and I have seen it twice together. Yes. The second time, Mike sang along with KG3 when he says everybody. Great. And also sang along with Lauren's during the My Shot chant. Everybody sing! Whoa, whoa, whoa! Shushed him. She shushed me, Lynn Manuel Miranda. And Anthony Lee Medina, Lawrence Phillips, was like, no, no, no. When he when KG3 says everybody, he means everybody, you must sing. Yeah. Thank you. So we're slowly building towards the moment where the entire audience will sing. Is it like a more like a moo with me? Absolutely. But when you when you first, I mean, I just felt like well, there's a lot of societal norms about singing along with the theater. And like you, I remember, I saw Jersey Boys in previews, but I didn't hear it. I heard the lady next to me singing the score of Jersey Boys, <laughs> well, and that was not the a not cool move. Well, because no. they weren't saying everybody. Correct. Yeah. When the king says everybody, the king you says sing. everybody sing. I'm and a, when, when Lauren says Anthony, everybody yeah, sing. Yeah, when Lauren sings, do yep. it. I'm a jazz so, fan, so like. When somebody finishes a solo, I'm the guy that like starts the applause. I'm yeah. like all about being a good audience like, member. Like in the park at the 4 a.m. jazz sesh, mm-hmm. you are. I love a round of applause when um, Hamilton finishes uh, thinking past tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that gets a round of applause. Mm-hmm. Uh, it happened in L.A. when Loya did it uh, opening night. And that was that's a joy. So, so yeah. you are officially saying that you can sing when King George says everybody. Absolutely. And when Lauren says everybody saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Sing those Thank AOL you. Dialogue. All right, I you know what? She blew my buzz big time. It really like yeah. really took me out of the I'm moment. Wrong. I get it. I'll admit it's, when I was wrong. Yeah. Cam fans across the world. We also call, join in at that moment. Let's let's hasten the development of this moment happening. The kingening. Yes. The kingening. The kingening. We, we also call Anthony Medina Funky Cold Medina because that was the cocktail that we made for him. Amazing. So we just call a legendary song. Bow, thank bow, you, thank you to Loke for so yeah. much, for so <laughs> yeah. many things. So Elisa says, as a mother of two little girls, why do you think the show has resonated so much with children? That's a great question. Um, Wordplay gets kids, full stop. Mm-hmm. I was reading a hop on pop and uh, I was reading a Fox and Socks to my kid 
These Dr. are all Seuss. great Dr. Seuss books. And I realized midway through reading it, you know, Fox and Socks is a series of Dr. Seuss tongue twisters. And midway through, he goes, no, no, Mr. Knox, sir. I am done in my Fox and Socks, sir. And I went, oh, that's where I got that. Mr. Burr, and sir. Burr, sir. Yeah. <laughs> It's a, it's a Seussian device. And I didn't realize I'd done that. That's just totally subconscious. Uh, the notion of, well, the notion of the feminine rhyme, of like rhyming the second to last syllable and not the last line in the syllable. Um, you'll, you, I will occasionally get the ill-informed tweet from someone being like, way to rhyme sir with sir. And I was like, that's not that's, what's rhyming in that sentence. You're doing it's, this wrong. You're doing this wrong. <laughs> Pardon me. Are you Aaron Burr, sir? That depends. Who's asking? Oh, sure. Sir, I'm Alexander Hamilton. I'm at your service, sir. I have been looking for you. I'm getting nervous. Sir, I heard your name at Princeton. I was seeking an accelerated course of study. When I got sort of out of sorts with a buddy of yours, I may have punched him. It's a blur, sir. He handles the financials. You punched the burr, sir. Yes, I wanted to do what you did, graduate and to join the... That's from... Growing up reading Dr. Seuss, and yeah. so the the fun with wordplay, I I'm I'm amazed. So many really little kids love Aaron Burr, sir. Like that's the song they like, mm-hmm. and the back and forth of that because it is playing with rhymes in a really fun way, and um, and so that's the way in. And then as they grow to learn the piece, you know, there's things of how we spend our time in this world. They're like very fundamental questions, like the. Yeah. The difference between Burr and Hamilton is the difference between how you want to spend your time on this planet. Do you mm-hmm. want to spend your time waiting for the right opportunity to come along or do you want to seize every opportunity to come along? Yeah. Like Burr and Hamilton are extremes in that regard. I think most of us live in the middle of that um, between Burr and Hamilton. Um, but kids relate to that. They just, they get it. And it's it. just fun because you're like meeting all these fun, cool people. And, and some delightfully catchy melodies doesn't hurt. And you're seeing characters that love each other in a very real sense, whether it's the Schuyler sisters who love each other very much or the, you know, the, uh, the Francis Tavern boys um mm-hmm. you know that story of tonight feeling of of oh we all get each other mm-hmm. um you know that's that's a melody the the story of tonight is a melody i wrote when i was 16 years old um i had a doo-wop group when i was a kid and you've had that like in your back pocket since you were 16 well it was attached to a far worse song that i wrote when i was 16 <laughs> but yeah and when i was writing when i was looking to dramatize that moment I went back and said, all right, when I was like young and a teenager and full of dreams and convinced I was going to change the world forever, like what was I writing? And so I went into the files and found this song I wrote when I was 16 and grabbed that melody and sort of adapted it for our guys. Raise a glass to freedom, something they can never take away, no matter what they tell you. Raise a glass to the four of us Tomorrow there'll be more of us Telling the story of tonight They'll tell the story of tonight Raise a glass to freedom Something they can never take away No matter what they tell you Let's have another round tonight We have to stop right here real quick. You realize that now you did that, right? That you were like, when I was like dreaming about changing the world forever, <laughs> and then you look back and you found this and then you did it. You you put it in the thing that now changed. Like, we, I, I say this all the time on the podcast. We live in a, po- a pre and post Hamilton world. The world will never be the same. And the world will never be the same. And I didn't know you were in a doo-wop group. Yeah, it was called Fat Joe and the Boys, but it was not named after the rapper Fat Joe. Fat Joe? I went to Florida. <laughs> 
Camacho filmed "What's Love" at the in the in the. Got to do with it. Um, but it was actually yeah. what's weird is the name of our group had nothing to do with that. There was a kid in a grade below us named Joe, and then there was another kid in his grade who looked like a bigger version of him, and so we used to call that kid Fat Joe. Right. And so... I love it. Like in Bob's Burgers, they have Rudy and regular-sized Rudy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rudy. It was our version of that. Never yeah. to their face. We were not bullies. Right. This uh-huh. was just like our shorthand for yeah, yeah. these kids sure. who were younger than us. Um, and the... Yeah, the... Da, 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 all of that, and the... It was higher originally. It was like da 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 da. I've got a bridge to sell you. It was, and if you believe that, the hook was, and if you believe that, I've got a bridge to sell you. And then I changed that to raise a glass to freedom, no matter what they tell you. I sort of adapted this melody that's really rangy and weird, but like. It's the kind of thing you write when you just can sing all the notes and you're 16 years old. Um, And so, uh, and I wanted it to sound like my version of idealism. And that was like singing with my friends as a kid. And we, you know, we, we got a summons from a police officer for singing in the 96th Street subway station. Stop it. And we only had... Two and you songs. guys weren't even selling Nutcrackers. You we were just weren't even singing. selling Nutcrackers. We were just singing For the Longest Time by Billy Joel because that was really our <laughs> the one song in our arsenal. Of course. You weren't singing. What were they yeah. singing? In, in, I'm in, so uh, inspired by you. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. I'm just picturing the guys in Rocky singing around the flaming garbage pail. Take it back. Do, 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 do. Take it back. That was us. So Megan and Emily are also asking. They're asking the same question. They ask about legacies. Hamilton and Heights both have characters pondering their legacies. What is it about legacies that you're so drawn to? Have you thought about yours? What or what your shows and creative works legacies are, whether it's Hamilton Heights, Moana or Mary Poppins or anything that you're working on now? Well, given that I've already confessed to being half Hamilton, half Burr, I think that uh, it will surprise no one to sort of know that, you know, yeah, you want to leave behind as much as you can Mm -hmm. before you go. We only know we get one round uh, of being alive promise some believe in more some don't so i think i i spent a lot of time as a kid and i think i still spend a lot of time thinking about like all right well what am i leaving behind what's what's the what's the notch i make in the wood before i go and i think usnavi shares that but i think that also comes as a result of what i've been given i i have two great parents who killed themselves so that i could go to college debt free mm-hmm. um which is not a gift everyone can afford to give their children um my dad literally went from working at a non-for-profit to working for a for-profit so that i could go to college and not right. incur a mountain of debt um i was keenly aware of their financial sacrifice i there is not a time in my life when my parents only had one job each. Like even my mom's a psychologist, my dad was in politics, but like my mom was always a psychologist, but she also worked for this company and she also volunteered at this nonprofit. Like there was just never a time when my parents had one job each mm-hmm. and came home at the end of the day. That was just not my like and so my sister and I were very much left to our own devices. And in the best sense of the word, I mean we had parents who loved and cared about us, but we also like I ate when I got home. The time until I went to the bed was my own. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my sister's six years older, so we didn't interact that, we didn't have that many points of intersection. I was really like an only kid with an old, older sibling. Yeah. Um, and as, as anyone who has seen my home videos on Twitter can attest, um, I say all that to say I was painfully aware of how hard my parents worked so that 
I could do better and do what I wanted. And legacy, I think, is a part of that. It's a continuation of that, of like, well, my parents didn't kill themselves for nothing. You know, they didn't kill themselves that I could just like think about writing a play uh, and yeah. continue substitute teaching for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's this feeling of, well, you know, a lot of people worked really hard just so you could have the time and space to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are you going to do? Um, and so I think that weighs very heavily on me. It certainly weighs heavily on Nina, who's the main character in Heights. Yeah, she, um, mm-hmm. and, and I think is very much born out of that. You know, I think Kiara and I both felt that. I think that's, that's one of the places where there's no distance in the Venn diagram between Kiara and I. Like, Kiara, also come hang. I say that on every podcast. Come hang. Oh, yeah. Kiara. Kiara well, Kiara, many times. Yeah. Kiara lives up. Kiara has such an interesting vantage point on Hamilton because she wasn't involved, and yet she's one of my best friends and my upstairs neighbor. So, um, and an investor in the show. Sure. And so, oh, I know who she is. Yeah. But yeah, so you know, that's a thing I think we share, and I think that's why legacy kind of keeps showing up in the work because we know that we are not the beginning of the story. We're Mm -hmm. the period at the end of a very long sentence that is our family history. Legacy. What is a legacy? It's planting seeds in a garden you never get to see. I wrote some notes at the beginning of a song someone will sing for me. America, you great unfinished symphony, you sent for me. You let me make a difference. A place where even orphan immigrants can leave their fingerprints and rise up. I'm running out of time, I'm running and my time's up. Wise up, eyes up. Like, I've read my two volumes of Sondheim. And the lessons you learn when you read your two volumes of Sondheim, if you haven't read those books, read those books. <laughs> Look, I made a hat and uh, finishing the hat. And, you know, he doesn't repeat himself. And his one big regret was writing that show with Richard Rogers, which he felt like he did out of obligation to his mentor, Oscar Hammerstein. His one lesson was like, only write what you're going to write because you love it and because you have to write it. Mm-hmm. Um, don't write for any other reason. And I, I I, adapt that to say, write from what you think you're gonna learn from. You know, um, when I was a kid, I didn't grow up saying, one day I'll write a musical about cheerleading. But I knew I wanted to write with Tom Kitt uh-huh. and Jeff yeah. Witte and see Andy Blankenbuehler's directing debut. Yeah. Um, so I, I, that was a joyful period in my life, learning from those, yeah. those folks. Don't get it twisted, this is your sorority sister singing swishing rah rah sis boom bah rah rah blah 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 sing it with me if you feel me we don't get down with no pom pom hail to the now we bust our ass with every new routine when we roll through with our crew no one can do it we do it's true but we would still do it if no one was watching and let's be real who can believe them for watching when the DJ Don't you ever 
Hamilton was I threw everything I knew about writing musicals into Hamilton. Yeah. And so I got to go learn some more new things about writing musicals yeah. to write the mm-hmm. next one. I mean, that's that's the thing. Yeah. Um, but I know I'm not adapting any more historical eras. Like I know like, oh, yeah, the no, next, that's, you know, yeah. like that's the thing like I'll run screaming from. And that's I actually talked to Steve Sondheim about that. He said after I did Gypsy, I got handed every backstage musical story. Oh, no. In the world. You run and you go. Go throw yourself in a new thing where you don't know what the answer is. Yeah, and that relates to what Ashley, my best friend Ashley, who works at Harvey Milk, she asks, what advice do you have for kids who don't have a ton of access to arts programs due to financial hardships or other obligations, like taking care of family members, etc., but they want to start learning about theater and becoming artists? The first step, you go to your public library. I, I can't tell you how many musical theater scores I listened to that I took out from the library in mm-hmm. Inwood, like off of uh, Seaman Avenue on Broadway. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing if you want to be, a, if you want to write novels, you go read books. Mm-hmm. Like it, like there is nothing stopping you from listening to scores, particularly in this era of streaming. Like you can go yeah. listen to, very frustrated that Heather's isn't completely on Spotify. They only have two songs on there. Why don't um, they have the whole thing? I, I don't know. But uh, that's that's uh, uh, that's you have to take that story away. for Mr. Spotify. With dear Madame, Mr. Spotify, dear Madam, <laughs> dear Empress Spotify. Yeah. Um, but you have more access to musicals than I certainly had when I was a kid, and and that's the first step. It's listening to what you love, listening to what you don't like, and when you find something you don't like, don't stop listening. Why don't you like it? And in deciding that for yourself, you begin to create your own taste. You begin to create your own critical faculties. You begin to create your aesthetic. Um, and and that's that's just as important as anything else. The shows you hate are as important as the shows you love. Totally. I, there is a show I saw on Broadway for $10 when I was in college. It will remain nameless. But I remember sitting in the last row, the rear mezzanine, thinking... I'm going to have a show on Broadway one day because if this piece of shit's on Broadway, uh-huh. my shit could be on Broadway. Well, what about kids who aren't uh, <laughs> musicians? What if they're just that they want to be writers or they just want to be artists in some way? Like, I guess the library is still the, the answer. Library is, is still the answer. The, um, you know, I, I had a pretty good ear, so I took just enough piano lessons to the point where I could read basic music theory and then kind of sight read. Um, but I took, about four years of piano lessons when I was a little kid, uh, from like seven to ten. And then the rest was me calling my friends who were much more talented than me, being like, all right, if I play an F sharp, an A, or a C sharp, what am I playing? You're playing an F sharp minor chord, Lynn. It's three in the morning. Can you pick up the phone, please? <laughs> Can you have um, several seats and, um, and so, you know, you create your own education. I think in, in chasing what you love, you will find what you run towards. And... Mm-hmm. And the passion of it will will find its own answers. Uh, you know, I mean, financial hardship is real, and 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 when you're in a position where you don't have the time and space, uh, Virginia Woolf's room of one's own, as it were, um, it's hard. It's hard to carve out the time and space to make what you love and chase what you love. Um, at the same time, it's worth it because it's what makes the rest of the hours worth it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I worked at McDonald's. I had I had my share of shitty jobs. Um, I had my data entry jobs. And and you, you carve out the space that is your own because it makes those hours livable. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you can you can speak to this a little bit. You write every day. I write every day. It was my New Year's resolution for 2017. I said, even if, I'm, even if I write a word mm-hmm. a day, I'm sitting down in front of the computer and I'm writing every day, as opposed to writing in these like sort of manic bursts. I was like, nope, I'm going to write every day. And I do. Right. Yeah. You're grateful for the manic bursts when they appear. Sure. But sure. your job as a writer is to turn something in even if they don't appear mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know what i mean like there are the days when wait for it shows up while you're on the a train and then there are the days where you're killing yourself trying to you know put two words together writing my yeah. shot and that may take you a year and then you write one <laughs> word and you're like i wrote today yeah and and the fun in the fun is as you develop as a writer learning that there are different ways to attack the page that there are days when oh i'm gonna I'm going to just try this. I'm going to attack it from this angle or I'm going to uh, start with a beat um, or this beat isn't giving me what I need. I'm going to start with a chord progression. I'm not going to worry about the beat. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more ways you have to attack the page, um, the less scary the empty page becomes mm-hmm. because you're like, I, there, I have many on ramps to this page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yep. In my case, I'm like, I'm just going to read what I have already written because I yeah. know I'm going to change something. Yeah. When I taught English, least. I used to make the kids free write for five minutes at the top of every class. Mm-hmm. And it became their Zen thing at the top yeah, of the class. The artist's way, like, right? I said, I'm not going to grade what you write. I'm not going to read it. I just want you to write and not stop writing for five minutes. And I'd play music. And it yeah. was just like our five minutes to write whatever the hell you want i had a young cool english teacher like you who did the same thing it was you had a mr miranda yeah i had a mr salverta and yeah. he was awesome and it was one of those things where it was like just i i think it's so freeing to say i'm not gonna read it you're not grading on it yeah. but just just to get people in that mindset of just write or just create even yeah. if you're not a writer like, I'm not a writer, but just to, to have a moment of like, just do what you're going to do and it's not going to be graded, but like, here's a safe space to do it. Right. I think that is really, really super. That's important. what I love about bebop in jazz. Like, it's it's fast and it's all over the place. But essentially, like, if you listen to Charlie Parker, like, it's not all, it's not all um, perfect, but he's searching. He's right. searching. And, he, and even Charlie Parker in interviews, he said, like, I'm just searching for pretty notes. Right. And so, like, it sometimes just listening to the search is amazing. In, yeah. And that's that's just a musical example. Joanna says, aloha from Hawaii. Aloha. And Joanna is just filled with gratitude. She says, I want to thank Lynn so much for writing such relatable lyrics for a local girl in Moana and for releasing the demos like more because more hits me right where it hurts. And she says, my grandmother who passed away was a kachi kachi dancing champion. So I felt right at home within the heights. Thank you so much for making awesome, relatable, catchy music, no matter the storyline. Oh, well, that's very sweet. Um, Thank you. Uh, One of the things that is so incredible about Moana and the origin story of Moana is it's actually the story before Moana even begins as a film. It's the fact that this people, this incredible people had the system of navigation that relied on the stars and reading the waves and reading the 
clouds and the wind um, and they connected everything from Hawaii to the South mm-hmm. Pacific to the Philippines and around and they'd find these new islands in the middle of the ocean and it was so much more sophisticated than uh, Captain Cook when he came over and claimed he discovered them right. um, and and so I, just the notion of the actual act being the perfect metaphor for the people, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, oh, we remember the island we're from and that is how we get where we're going. Mm-hmm. Um, that is both literally true and figuratively <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just knocked me out as a songwriter. I was like, you cannot ask for a greater gift than that. Yeah. Um, and so it was a joy to learn about this culture and about the Pacific Island culture and, and the system of navigation and the wayfinders and... Um, and and really sort of be in charge of storytelling, but not in charge of, you know, uh, Opataya is, is from these islands and he writes in Tokelauan and Samoan and everything that comes out of him just sounds like this part of the world. And so the, the goal became, it, it's not about me being clever, it's about me harnessing what Opataya writes and and making sure we tell the story in that spirit yeah. and um, and so that was really fun and it was also concurrently happening with Hamilton so it was like when I didn't know what Jefferson wanted to say to Hamilton I'm gonna you were go writing that while you I was were writing, writing them Hamilton? at the same time yeah I got that job I literally found out I got the Disney Moana job the day we found out we were having a child so that is March, April of 2014. And then Sebastian was born in November 2015. We start rehearsal for Hamilton two weeks later. And then I'm writing. I mean, I wrote more uh, when we were off Broadway. There's gotta be more. I know there's more. There's always more. Slow down. Sorry, I'm always in somebody's way. They do the same thing every day. They work, they eat, they sleep, they pray, they tell me more. Wanna calm down? That's all they ever seem to say. The other kids just. My mom is saying hello, and I'm saying still recording. Um. Okay. So this last message. This person wants to be anonymous, and they say. Three years ago, my wife and I lost our son soon after he was born. As I'm sure you can imagine, this was a devastating moment for our family, but I've never been able to put into words the emotions when talking with others. Less than 20% of parents know what this is like, yet you perfectly, for me at least, summarize so many significant points into the beautifully heart-wrenching song, It's Quiet Uptown. The lyric, can you imagine, makes me think of the countless times I've been told I can only imagine what you're going through, and it touched me so drastically the first time I listened to the cast recording and every time since. All this to say, thank you for putting into words what I was unable to and helping me to express to others what this experience is like. I could never thank you enough. My question is, what is the process of writing songs like Stay Alive and It's Quiet Uptown, which are so emotionally charged? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously that's that's the worst nightmare. And um, I, I do have tangential personal experience with it. I mean, more so as an adult, um, you know, we don't, we don't talk about miscarriage in our society, but I know more women who have had miscarriages than who have not. Mm. We just don't talk about it. Or even losing a child early. Or even losing yeah. a child early. I mean, that's just, um, that's something I've, I've, I, I have known many times firsthand and secondhand as an adult. Um, but, but even as a kid, I had tangential experience. I had a, my, my best friend when I was three years old uh, died uh, when I was very young. And um, it was a really sort of, 
tragic experience. It was sort of no one's fault, um, but but the but my friend drowned, and um, and it's interesting because it's this weird gray part of my childhood. You know, I think anyone who's read Stephen King is very familiar with this. Mm-hmm. Um, that that notion of a child dying early and what that does to your childhood, or if you've read Harry Potter, you know, you see Thestrals. sooner than everybody else Um, i definitely saw festivals at a very young age and you know we get to that section of the show and i'm getting there as a writer and um, i wasn't yet a parent when i wrote that song um but i remember thinking well i i can't possibly know what this is like i can't possibly know yeah and and then as soon as i had that feeling i said well then i know how to write the song um, because it's it's from the perspective of knowing these people have gone through this and how do you even begin to approach that? How do you even begin to discuss that? Um, and and the song wrote quickly. I mean, I think uh, I think I wrote it in a day. Rebecca Naomi Jones was Angelica for that particular workshop, and so she had to deliver it. Again, it was one of those night before <laughs> night yeah. before we lose the actors. Non deadline deadlines. Non deadline deadlines. And uh, you know, I cried when I wrote it. They cried when they sang it. And um, but it was about. I mean, if you look at those lyrics, it's all about how impossible it is to comprehend it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've read my Joan Didion. I've read my Year of Magical Thinking. I've I've experienced grief on that level, um, and yet at the same time, like losing a child's a whole other thing. It's mm-hmm. just a whole other thing, and so um, it's about not fathoming the depth of the loss, yeah. and 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 not even trying to, and and so um, that's that was my way of cracking the songwriting. If you see him in the street, walking by your side. Talking by her side, have been Eliza, do you like it uptown? It's quiet uptown. He is trying to do the unimaginable. See them walking in the park, long after dark, taking in the sights of the city. Look around, look around, Eliza. They are trying to do the unimaginable. There are moments that the words don't reach. There's a grace too powerful to name We push away what we can never understand We push away the unimaginable They are standing in the garden Alexander by Eliza's side She takes his hand It's quiet uptown Forgiveness And for a second, it was Burr singing that section. There are moments where the words don't reach. Um, and like after four lines, I said, this is Angelica. And actually what was beautiful is it, it completes Angelica's arc um, yeah. as bearing witness to this family and bearing witness to this relationship that she is a part of and yet not a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was it was wonderful to be able to hand that to Rebecca um, and say, oh, this is this is this is Angelica's song to sing. And and it's. I, I always think of this moment when we were 
sort of just starting within the Heights, where Priscilla Lopez, you know, who originated the role of Morales in a chorus line, countless other things. But like she turned to me and she said, you have no idea the ripples that are going to come back to you from this fucking thing. Um, <laughs> like you are throwing a rock in a pond and you have no idea what the ripples are. And sometimes those ripples are good and sometimes they're bad. But one of the ripples of writing It's Quiet Uptown is that I, I, I get to commiserate with a lot of people who experience this particular loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I'm a new parent. It's, it's, a, it's your nightmare as a parent. Um, but it is also a way of processing that and giving it room to breathe and live with all your other thoughts mm-hmm. and not making it the boogeyman. And, and um, I'm, I'm grateful for what it has done for people uh, who couldn't articulate that. Uh, and 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 had that um, I've, I've I've experienced that very firsthand um, with with friends who have lost children um, and and said that song was was a lifeline or a source of strength to them um, so I'm 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 grateful that that's a good thing that came out of that the writing of that song yeah um, you know that's that's a that's a good Priscilla Lopezian ripple <laughs> right right mm-hmm. just to put it all back it you know you fanned a spark into a flame. So, Lynn, I want to thank you so, so much. Thank you. For hanging out. and get me drunk at three in the afternoon. No, not a problem. <laughs> uh, we can do this anytime. If you want to yeah. come over when Ian, when we have our uh, West Wing date with Ian, you are more than welcome. Ian's also not seen like a lot of really important movies. Like he's never seen Almost Famous, never seen The Godfather. I couldn't believe when he said he hadn't seen The Godfather. I heard that on your podcast. When I was like, no, it's like a door. It's like the trope, like the door closing. We're going to make him trope. a bowl of spaghetti and we're going to make him watch The Godfather one of these days. Oh, Paul, he won't hear from him no more. No. Um, <laughs> no, I. I, I rewatched The Godfather when we were on vacation in Italy, and it was like, I mean, The, the Godfather and Godfather 2 are pretty much like, I mean, they're the best movies yeah. ever made. It's simple it's as that. Close. So, Lynn, I'm not even going to do the whole thing. Everyone knows where to find you on, on all the social media, right? See you on the Twitter. All right. I'm taking weekends off, which has been really great for my sanity. <laughs> yeah, right? Okay, cool. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and thank you, everyone, for for uh, hanging out on this on this 19-month journey to get us here and Lynn is in my Thanks, Hamel Cast. All right. I am uh, I'm G. Penn. I'm M. Smith. I'm L. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I told you guys it was emotional. Yeah. When he said Thestrals, I was like, okay, well, it was just, it was beautiful. So thank you so much to the Patreon peeps for asking those questions. Here's what's happening next week. Next week, the B-sides. Since it was your idea, do you want to tell people what, what they can expect? I am so excited and I am almost as in the dark as the listeners because I don't know what you've personally selected out to be a B-side. Mm-hmm. I don't... As you know, we, you and I both sort of black out during the conversations themselves. Sure. And I haven't re-listened to anything. But my idea for the B-sides for you guys was I just knew that there were a lot of random moments that might have been on the cutting room floor or might not have necessarily um, been pertinent to overall themes. Mm-hmm. So I wanted those to see the light of day. And I and I knew Jillian was trying to figure out how to work some of them in. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, how Lintoberfest starts with the, the Beastie Boys. Yes. Things like that. Exactly. Yeah. So There's like a whole story about that that I want to tell everyone. So right. the B-sides are going to be those out of context moments and also us commenting on them. Right. And there are some things, there are some corrections 
that need to be mentioned and some behind the scenes stuff that you guys don't know about. So we're just going to sort of relive it and explain all of these cool secret things. Um, but no, we I am not playing that that burn clip that he played us because people have been asking me because he mentions it. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, that is not in there. But really, really, really cool, fun stuff is. And yeah, I'm really excited to share it with you guys. I, have, I haven't even started editing it, so I should probably get to work on that. But thank you so much for listening. And if you're part of the Patreon peeps, if you're in that closed group on Facebook that's just for the Patreon peeps, we're going to take questions from them about that. So if you have anything specific you want to know about the recording or anything like that, and you're in the Patreon peep group, I will put up a post for that and you can comment on that. If you are not a Patreon peep, you can go to patreon.com slash the Hamilcast and check it out. And yeah, but what you really should do is go to hispanicfederation.org slash donate. That's pretty important. Give your money to hispanicfederation.org because Puerto Rico needs our help. And yeah. So we will see you guys next week. Mike will be joining me, of course, for the B-Sides. And what is your social media? At MPSmithNYC. That is for Twitter and Instagram. And that is it. Talk to you in five seconds. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Thank you guys so, so much for listening. And yeah, talk to you next week. I'm G.Penn. I'm M.Smith. the podcast go to patreon.com slash the hamilcast you can get access to the closed facebook group where you can submit questions for upcoming guests get behind the scenes access live ama videos and other cool rewards my gratitude for the patreon peeps is through the roof and always will be the hamilcast.com is the home of all your podcast needs including episodes guest bios and my hamil reference heavy and extensive notes on the churnout chapters that i insist on calling chirpters sorry about that You can listen to episodes anywhere you get your podcasts, but I'm just saying if you really loved it, you would subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. If you're looking for the podcast on social media, it couldn't be easier. At the Hamilcast on all the things. I'm at Jillian with a G on all social media, and you can check out The Residuals, my web series with Mike, you know Mike, at theresiduals.tv, and my true crime podcast with Patrick Hines of Theater People at truecrimeobsessed.com. Thank you again for listening to The Hamilcast. I'll talk to you in five seconds on Twitter. (laughs) 